have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Psalm 51 verses 1 and 2. And what's up, what's up, everyone? You, you know where we're at? Where are we at, Abe? Where are we at? Texas. Oh yeah, <laughs> Texas baby. You know, you know where we'll be at. Hey, hey, they, well, well, welcome everyone. We're uh, we're glad to have your have have your have your yeah. have you here. We're glad to have you here. Um, we have another good episode for you. So please share with your family and friends, and be sure to subscribe to us. We're across all the major podcast platforms, or or, or you could also download our Bridge app. Yes. So, so please go ahead and do that. Uh, that Just go to the App Store, type in Bridge Ministries. You'll see our logo, name, and slogan, Coffee and Good News, and you'll find all this theological reformed richness. So yes. you can listen to Bridge Radio on there. <laughs> you can also catch some articles. Uh, we're, we're posting up some confessions. You can also see our apologetics conference on there, which is nice. And uh, yeah, just go, uh, just go check that out. Dude, I'm out of breath. What's yeah. wrong with me, dude? Well, you didn't sleep last night. That's I why. I did not sleep last night. So for our wor- worldwide audience, audience, please forgive Julio if he's not yeah. on top of his game. Well, right now, okay, so th- <laughs> let me explain what I just did. This is why I'm out of breath, because right now I just did some jumpy jacks and some push-ups, got on the mic, started yelling, and then now I'm all yeah. now I'm all like exhausted. So You need to go work out, bro. I do. That, <laughs> I do need to go do that. Hey, so before, before we jump into our topic, I want uh, Abe to talk a little bit about something we did here at the ministry, which is really funny we made this specific stack of cups for abe mm. and at the bottom of, actually i won't even explain you yeah, just go ahead so, and explain so here at the ministry like julio and i keep going back on post mill and pre-millennium uh eschatology you know um talk that we're always having here and um and julio and steve were giving me post-millennial cups coffee cups uh that they were writing under the cups so every time i was drinking and we were going back and forth and saying, I was saying pre-mill and then who do you say post-mill? But then, then I, every, time, every time I raise my cup on the bottom of the cup, it says post-mill post at the bottom. Yeah. No, it said post-mill rules. Oh, really? Yeah. You put post-mill uh, rules. rules. Oh, I didn't yeah. see that. So, yeah. So, yeah. So it's funny. The reason why it's really funny is because we'll have Bible studies here at, at Bridge. Yeah. And it's like a group of 20 people. And he's drinking his coffee mug, and we're yeah. looking at him, and as he's lifting it, we could see the bottom of his cup, and yeah. everybody knows that he's having it. Yeah. So we're hoping it would probably get to him. Yeah, so either, either we're calling pre-mill, on-mill, post-mill <laughs> here, and, and we're we're having fun with it, and uh, yes, so these guys got me real good, and don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> All right, guys, well, we are the Reformed Christian Podcast, who brings on uh, Christian authors, apologists, scholars, and theologians to talk about books and theology, and like I said at the beginning of the program, we have a really good one for you today. Uh, we're going to be uh, diving into the book of Psalms. I'm excited. So the Psalms have been said to be a book uh, not only uh, God speaking to us, but a book that allows us to speak to God. Um, Psalm 51 has uh, specifically, that's what we're going to be engaging with today. Um, it's a well-known uh, psalm. A lot of historical figures have liked it. William Carey, the great missionary of India, uh, he asked for that to be read at his funeral, actually. Wow. And uh, also, Psalms 51 was a psalm uh, in that, that Charles Spurgeon had to sort of put on hold for his commentary, and uh, because he couldn't quite uh, decipher it, and he, had to, he kept like every time he would sit down, he would come and read the psalm, and he was trying to write his commentary, and he would 
pretty much just walk away not writing anything. Wow. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no pressure to our guests, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the great the great Charles Spurgeon had a hard time uh, <laughs> talking and writing about. This guy was like an, an exegete. So, yeah. no, no pressure to our guests. Anyway, so our guest is the lead pastor of the Response Church in San Diego, California. He leads his church through faithful teaching, through books of the Bible and casting vision. He is also very passionate about developing leaders as well as creating strategic systems for the advancement of the gospel. And thank you, Joel Webbin, for coming back on Bridge Radio. How has everything been and what's new with the Response Church? It's been great. I'm very grateful to get to be with you guys today. Thanks for the invite. Things with Response have been great. We're actually looking at moving into a building here in the very near future, hopefully this fall. And so we're grateful for all that God is doing and providing. Yeah, I think last time we talked about that in the program. Um, by the way, we've had Joel in the program before. I mentioned that, and uh, he was on to talk about what was what was the. Do you remember church Joel? membership? Church, church yeah. membership, yeah. which was yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Now I remember that yeah. we, we've had it. We had a couple of responses to that. So yeah. I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask Joel, have you been locking down the memberships? Oh yeah, <laughs> since then. How's since how's then. that been? We yeah, we just steady as she goes. But yeah, church membership is. Uh, definitely important for us as Reformed Baptists. We believe in a regenerate church membership, and uh, we know that at the end of the day, God is omniscient alone, but we want to do our due diligence and making sure that uh, the bar for church membership is no higher and no lower than what it means to uh, to be a Christian. And so we want to—church membership is difficult for the Baptists if they're trying to do it faithfully, because we need a proclamation of faith we need a person's testimony. We need to look into their life. We are congregationalists, yep. so the congregation has to welcome them in. And in addition to all that, we want to be very careful thinking of Christ and Isaiah, that a bruised reed he will not despise, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. There's mm. a dynamic difference between a false convert and a weak convert. And weak converts we should welcome with open arms. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I That's agree. Great. I agree. Yeah, and please go check out that podcast uh, on the importance of church membership. Membership with Joel. Um, I forget really? what episode it is, but you'll you'll see it on we'll there. We'll put that in the link. We'll yeah. put it in the link. So, um, yeah, Joel, we're going to be talking about Psalm fifty-one. We're going to put a little emphasis on confession today. But um, do you have the Psalm right in front of you uh, by any chance? Cause, I do. All right. Yeah. So if I, I would just if you could read it, that'd be great. So that way we could uh, uh, just start it off there and then get into some context. All right, it's 19 verses. You want you want the whole thing, or do you want me to maybe read some of the portions that I hope to emphasize today? Yeah, actually, let let just go ahead and read. The, I guess the portions that you that you hope to emphasize today. That'd be great. Okay, cool. So uh, I definitely want to draw attention to verses 10 through 12 of the text. The Bible says, "Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your holy spirit from me." Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So that's verses 10 through 12, and I definitely want to focus on that today. Um, maybe if we have time, I'll get to verses 16 and 17, speaking of uh, the absolute necessity for contrition, Christian contrition. Uh, verse 16 and 17 says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Yep. Those are the portions that I'd love to focus on today. 
Awesome. Um, just for our, our audience, uh, Joel, um, can we just uh, 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 talk about a little bit who wrote the Book of Psalms, and in what context? In what is the content of context of Psalms uh, fifty-one? Yeah, great question. So, the author of the Book of Psalms is God. Um, Amen. <laughs> but yeah. the human, the human author is uh, plural. There are multiple different human authors uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, depending on which psalm we're in. Uh, so, to particularly focus on Psalm fifty-one, uh, it's a psalm that there are a few not the majority, but there are a few that can be pinpointed as to their exact historical origin. Mm -hmm. And so the heading of this particular psalm, Psalm 51, states this, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, the context behind Psalm 51 is we have the Holy Spirit inspiring King David as the human author. And what happened was that Uriah was murdered. His mm -hmm. wife, Bathsheba, was defiled and arguably raped by King David. Uh, there's obviously some debate around that, but I think that it's important to really feel the severity of King David's sin, that he didn't just invite her over for a glass of wine and one thing led to another. It was, uh, it was an exercise yeah. of his power uh, hmm. that was perverse and that was forceful and wrong. And so at least I want to say that Bathsheba was defiled, her husband was murdered, and the baby that she was impregnated by David was ultimately sentenced by God to die. And so the consequences and the repercussions and implications of David's sin of adultery and murder and deception uh, were far reaching. Joel, I, I don't, I, I was having this discussion with uh, my pastors uh, this morning because I was looking at the text and this morning I was just like, hold on a second, I'm reading this. And I went back to the original language, uh, the Hebrew, and I was like, he forcibly sent uh, his servants to pick her up and they physically took her out. Yeah. And I was asking the question, I was like, hey, Julio, did King David rape Bathsheba? Huh. And and I that's a really so. and it's a really strong language and and and, yeah. and 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 my pastor were my pastors gave me some really good answers and thank you I we were, I was gonna ask you and I kind of just like yeah Joy yeah, answered it <laughs> yeah and you just answered it and 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 yeah, I was well, thinking the same thing and so I know that there's it. yeah no. Because started off with a bang there, yeah. so hopefully that'll be the most intense portion of this uh, episode, and we'll <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll lighten up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I know that in just uh, uh, sermons of hearing on Psalm fifty-one, we always see this. You know, use the word like adultery. Uh -huh. uh, yes, David committed adultery, but did Bathsheba, if she was raped, and that was just a question we can talk about that at some other time but you know right yeah it's a good question right right so you talked a little bit about contrition again we're, we're today our focus is just going to be on confession so yeah. um talk about a little bit about contrition and, and what would you consider to be true and complete confession well contrition um as we saw in verse 16 through 17 david saying to God, ultimately he's praying to God. And so that's one of the things you guys already said is so beautiful about the Psalms is we have Holy Spirit inspired prayers. Mm -hmm. So if we're ever wondering as Christians how we should pray, mm -hmm. uh, we literally have a book of prayer given to us by God that mm -hmm. we should uh, that we should utilize. 
But so David says, God, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. And this is foundational, I believe, to everything. We can't make the mistake of thinking that we'll get beyond this, this, this foundation, this, this state of contrition, as long as we are in this Christian life, this side of heaven. So a contrite heart marks the entire life of God's children. Christians are broken and will continue to be broken all the way home. So after all, I think that this is the way that it was with even our Savior. I think mm-hmm. of Isaiah 53, verse 3, that says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And I I think of that and pairing that with a quote from the late great Jonathan Edwards from uh, Religious Affections, depending what version you have, page 339. He says, all gracious affections, that is feelings and emotions as they pertain to man, that are a sweet aroma to Christ, are broken-hearted affections. A truly Christian love, either to God or to our fellow man, is a humble, broken-hearted love. The desires of the saints, however earnest, are humble desires. Their hope, a humble hope. And their joy, even when it is unspeakable and full of glory, is a humble, broken-hearted joy. And so I think that There is great gladness, there is great joy, there is great happiness in the Christian life. But there's a difference, I think, between sad and glad versus versus heavy and light. And so as a a preacher of the Bible in a local church, um, I, I always have to help my congregation just come to terms with the reality that every Sunday is going to be heavy. Yeah. That doesn't mean every Sunday is going to be depressing. That doesn't mean every Sunday is going to be sad. Uh, but but whether it's joy or sadness, it's a heavy joy and a heavy sadness. At this side of heaven, so much of the Christian life is marked, I believe, by this, this heart of contrition, this brokenness in regard to the severity of our sin. Uh, even Christ himself was a man of sorrows, not broken over his own sin, of which he had none, Mm -hmm. but rather broken over the sins of these people that he so dearly loved. Mm -hmm. And so I I think there's just a heaviness to following Jesus. And I I think of also Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2 through 4, it says, better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, Mm -hmm. for this is the end of all mankind, and the living lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Yeah, so you're 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 getting to um, definitely the the root of true regeneration, that conviction of sin. Um, what what would be the opposite of of contrition? Yeah, I think the opposite of contri- contrition is not it's not uh, security. The opposite is it's it's not confidence. It's not gladness. I think that, that that's a false dichotomy. And so what, what I'm trying to do, and I hope that it's clear, is I'm trying to contrast um, heaviness from lightheartedness okay. mm-hmm. uh, versus, versus contrasting um, fear and sadness with confidence, security, and joy. So the Christian should have joy, should have confidence. There is 
now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. First John, he speaks of how he wants us with boldness to, uh, to approach Christ when he returns and to not shrink back in shame at his coming. So the Christian should have assurance, the Christian should have confidence, and they should have uh, exceeding joy. So the opposite of contrition is not happiness or joy. The opposite of contrition, I, I'm relating that less to fear and sadness and more simply to a, a heavy sobriety when it comes to the reality of our sins. So the opposite would be a lightheartedness. It would be uh, making things trite and trivial. Okay. All right. And so that, that so in essence, what you're saying is that's what uh, true and complete confession is? Well, I think that contrition is certainly a piece. Um, I, I think that it begins with contrition. So okay. I, I think that we're, we're not going to even, even feel the necessity or the urge in order to confess our sins and repent of our sins uh, unless we're broken over our sins. And so I think that's right. one of the first things that we see, not necessarily in a particular order, but I think that's if, if we were to say, you know, a step-by-step plan of repentance, I think the first thing that David possesses is contrition. He is broken mm. over his sin. He mm. feels a heaviness over his sin. And then that leads him to confess um, and to cry out to God and ask for mercy, forgiveness. Uh, but he also asks to be restored. And, and so I think th- there's multiple pieces at play. Confession is one of them. Uh, pleading for forgiveness is one of them, and then ultimately, I think pleading for restoration, mm-hmm. uh, which which I want to link that a lot to transformation. One of the things that I love about Psalm 51 is uh, David speaks uh, to both sides. So he speaks to God forgiving him um, and blotting out his transgression. Yeah. Right. So David is speaking of um, he's speaking of himself uh, as as though his life were this record, and he knows that his record has been tainted. He knows that, that, he, that he's, he's ruined his, his history, his testimony. He has all these blots of transgressions on his record, and so he asks God to blot that out. But he doesn't just ask God to clean his record. He asks God to give him a clean heart. Yeah. And, and I think that it's so important with repentance, that, that we're not just asking for God to blot out our transgressions, to remember our sins no more, to forgive us of our iniquities, but we're also uh, we're also crying out to God to change us from the inside out. What we're ultimately saying, and all this I'm rooting in contrition, what we're ultimately saying is that, God, even if you blot out every sin I've ever committed, but you don't change me, from the mm. core, from the inside out, I will commit all those sins again and likely far worse. The problem here oh. is not just that I have a dirty record. I have a dirty heart. Make yeah. me new. Yeah. And, and, David, and David is aware and acknowledges his sin, as we can see in verse 3. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. So I find it just amazing that in the confession part of of what's going through, he knows what he's doing and cannot right. say that I don't know what I did. Right. He was very much aware. Yeah, and then, Absolutely. And then even in that psalm, he says, you, O Lord, do I sin against and you alone. Yeah. So it's it's not even a, a, a horizontal but a vertical 
um, view of it, um, of his That's sin. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, Joel, I, I, I want to tie this in now to just the practicality of the Christian faith, life, and practice. Um, this sounds a lot like the doctrine of regeneration. Um, can, and can you talk about a little bit about that, especially how the Holy Spirit uh, plays a role in bringing a, 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 a Christian to realize his own sin? And I believe all of us here could attest to that moment where we were saved or where we felt that heavy burden on our heart, that contrition. Right. Um, yeah. I Before doing that, that's a great question. Let, let me just kind of lead in okay. with, with this. Um, one of the things that the prophet Nathan says to David after he has committed his sin, he goes and approaches him. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, to root it in, in a text, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we see the, the sin of David. So Psalm 51, we see David's prayer of repentance. Uh, but 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we actually see David committing this particular sin. And then 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, um, we see Nathan, he's coming, he's approaching David. He gives him this, this parable, this allegory of a man who had one sheep, and it was like a pet to him. It sat at the table with his children. It was almost a part of their family. And there was this rich man who had uh, many livestock and many sheep, and he went out of his greed and stole this one sheep from his neighbor, this poor man, and used it to uh, to carve up a feast. And, you know, Nathan says to David, you know, what should we do with this man? And David says, this man should surely die. And Nathan responds by saying, he doesn't just say, you've committed this sin. He says, you are the man. You are the man. And so there's this sense hmm. in recognizing uh, my sin is not a fluke. I think that's what we like to do. We like to minimize our sin. We like to say, this is something that I did, but it's not really representative of who I am. This is something that I, you know, I, I had a bad day. I was stressed. Hmm. I didn't get enough sleep. You know, you should have seen the backup, the pileup of traffic on I-8. I mean, Jesus himself probably would have lost his cool if he was in that traffic jam. You know, and we just, yeah. we say yeah, all yeah. these things to kind of, minimize our sin. But ultimately, what we need to recognize is that what, what we like to say, I think, in a nutshell is this, we like to look at the best things that we've ever said and that we've ever done and say, that is characteristic of who I am. Mm -hmm. And then everything negative, that that's a mulligan. That's, that's a fluke. That's mm -hmm. a one-off. Um, but ultimately, Nathan is confronting David, and he's not just saying, you did something really bad. He's saying, this is who you are. You're a wicked man. And, th and then David you know, ultimately what, what Nathan says in verse 13 of Second Samuel chapter 12 is this. He says, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And so we see the gospel rooted in this. He's saying the Lord God has put away your sin. So the, the whole confrontation with Nathan is your sin is really, really bad. And, and the problem is not just that you commit sin. The problem is that you are a sinner. You yeah. are a sinner. And But then he goes and says that the Lord has put away your sin and that you shall not die. And we know, as gospel-believing Christians, that the reason why David did not die that day, the reason why, why David did not have to pay with his own life for that sin, because the sentence was death, yeah. uh, is ultimately because Christ died in his place. Somebody else was going to die mm. for him. And so we, we see the gospel in wow. that. So I think yeah. what, what Psalm Ultimately, when, when we look at 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we see that 
that the Lord had put away David's sin. And we know that our thrice holy God, he cannot ignore our sin. He cannot just sweep it underneath the proverbial rug. And so we, we know that he put away David's sin. And we see, I think, the, the theological reality of how this took place objectively in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26, that speaks about the gospel. It speaks about how God passed over hmm. former sins, because ultimately he's going to deal with it uh, with a finality through the death of Jesus Christ. So Romans 3 answers objectively how the Lord put away David's sin. But Psalm 51, getting to your question, Psalm 51 deals subjectively with how David laid hold of this free grace in Christ Jesus. And so I think that's what repentance is. I think that in confession, um, in these things, getting to like regeneration and those kinds of things, what we're doing is uh, we're not saying this is where my hope comes from. God is not, uh, God's grace is a free grace. It's not contingent on, on the things that we do. And so there's this objective reality of the forgiveness that we have through faith in Christ alone. But, but I think that we're being naive if, if, we, if we have a truncated gospel. I, I'm all for gospel centrality, but sometimes we, we're gospel myoptic, where, where everything is just gospel, 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 and, and we have no framework for law. We have no framework for pleading for forgiveness, for repentance, for confession. And so it's important for us to know that objectively, David was forgiven through faith in Christ Jesus, looking forward to the Messiah who would be sent. Uh, but subjectively, David had to wrestle with God. Hmm. D- David had to go to God in prayer and in fasting and in yeah. weeping and with contrition, laying hold of the reality of this grace by pleading for mercy. And, and so as far as regeneration goes, um, that's key to every Christian life. There is no Christianity apart from regeneration. Yeah. Uh, but I think what we're seeing with David, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, but I think what we're seeing is the playing out of sanctification. I, I don't think that this is the moment when David comes to Christ for the first time. I, I don't think that this is his conversion. Um, but but I think that there's this reality that even with a new heart, certainly in in the doctrine of regeneration, by the Holy Spirit's power, he removes the heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, a, a beating heart, a living heart, and that now mm-hmm. in our inner being we desire and the things of God and delight in his law. So we truly have a new heart, but sin still resides within the members of our being. There's still this, mm-hmm. this flesh that we're warring against, and that has to be renewed and transformed in an ongoing progressive sanctification, and that happens through an ongoing repentance. And so my, my concern is that many Christians, sometimes they, they they speak as though repentance was a one-time thing that they did at conversion, rather mm. than it being a, a life of contrition, yeah. a life mm. of seeing that my That's sin good. is before me, and a life of, of ultimately saying again and again and again, I must repent. Yeah, yeah. By good. the way, Joel, do you have like a bird chirping in the back? <laughs> I think I do have a bird chirping. Yeah, you do. It sounded incredible when you were saying all that. It sounded just great. It was perfect. I was, I was just like, it's not definitely not in this room. 
<laughs> I'll try to I'll try to move to a different room and oh, no, get that's some a, less less it's, bird. Action. It's God's it's creation. Good. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what yeah, it's like the back, background noise. It was it was very interesting. Um Sorry. No, 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 it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, and, and even uh, we were talking about this before the program, the idea of um lordship salvation and free grace. You just kind of uh, implicitly kind of touched on that and that there should always be this um, uh, this state of repentance throughout someone's life. Um, yeah. Joel, I'm, I'm more than 100% sure you would say if there was someone who is living and practicing sin, um, that's not a, uh, a heart of con- contrition. And then therefore you could say that that person has not been regenerated, correct? Uh, correct. I would definitely want to add nuances and caveats sure. to that. I, I agree with the principle of that to be certain. Um, I think, I, yeah, I, I think that if somebody has no remorse over their sin, if they, if they're, they're there's no contrition there at all, uh, they just want to live their own life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way that a person can have Christ as their Savior without yes. having Christ as their Lord. So I, I affirm I appreciate John MacArthur and all the work that he's done on that. I affirm the doctrine of lordship salvation, um, and I, I feel fairly confident that MacArthur would uh, be the first to say that, that that there are some necessary nuances and caveats, sure. perhaps mm-hmm. with that, because we all, we all are, in a sense, if we're not careful, you know, we are all continuing in sin. Yeah. You know, yeah. When we pair the doctrine of lordship salvation with some of the statements in just the first chapter of First John: uh, "If any man says he is without sin, he's a liar." Yeah, and, and so, so there is sin, and I think one of the things that I'm always trying to teach our people, my flock at the response, is helping them to see that uh, one of the truest marks of a Christian is not sinlessness, but but rather just a life that's marked by repentance. Yeah. But even that, I think, has to be qualified because. What will happen, I've noticed just in, in pastoral shepherding meetings, is that someone will say, well, I, I know that I'm failing in this area, and I, and I know that that doesn't mean that I that I'm, don't belong to Christ and that I'm not, you know, that I'm not saved. Um, I know that repentance is what matters, but, but I've been doubting even the, the legitimacy or the, um, the quality, if you will, of my repentance. And so huh. my, my point is, I, I think that, Contrition is so important, but but I think it has to be, it has to be clarified as far as um, as far as the purity. In the same way that, in the same way that we, we wouldn't say that salvation belongs to those who have perfectly pure lives in regards to yeah. being sinless. I think we also have to let people know that uh, salvation does not belong to those who have perfectly pure confessions and perfectly pure repentance. Mm, and so yeah. what, what That's I a great realize point. is that. If we can repent perfectly, then we can live perfectly. Yeah. The reason mm. why we still sin is because we don't perfectly repent. Yeah. So the reason why we don't have perfect lives and still wrestle with sin is because we don't have perfect confession, perfect contrition, and perfect repentance. Mm. And That's we fail good. at those things. And so for we... anyone to say, well, I, I have a heart of pure contrition, and I have this, this genuine, authentic, and perfect confession and repentance, and that's the mark of a true Christian, but I still sin. Well, then my first question would be like, if your repentance is so robust and your contrition is so genuine, why are you sinning? Yeah. yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. yeah. 
What were you going to say? I think that's a huge disconnect from our lives and our hearts that the Bible never, never makes. The reason why our lives are still tainted by sin, even for the Christian, even after genuine regeneration, even someone who truly does believe that Christ is their Savior and their Lord, the reason why they still have uh, life in their actions that is imperfect is because their repentance is imperfect. And so I think we, we, we have to be careful in the same way we can't be the morality police. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we also can't be the repentance and contrition police, <laughs> saying you're not, you're not contrite enough. Yeah. You're not repenting enough. I think we have to look at, Paul Washer even speaks about the kernels of repentance. Somebody who's mm. been walking with the Lord for five years is going to have a less robust and mature repentance as somebody who's been walking with the Lord for 25 years. So not just their life is going to look different, but but the way they repent is going to look different, and those are those have to remain connected. And and and, and that's why we need Christ every moment, every second, every hour, every minute, because as Christians, right, like you just said, our sins, you know, we have to come to Him on a daily basis to get cleansed, because right. our mouth gets us in trouble, our hearts gets us in trouble. You know, and, and we come back to him and, and give him thanks for what he did on the cross and and, and, and did it perfectly. And, yeah. and he lived for us perfectly. And yeah, and I Amen. have to, I got to get reminded that every day. Yeah. You know, so our ultimate. Yeah. Our ultimate assurance for salvation being rooted in, in the heights and depths and lengths and width of God's love for us. It has to be objective, it has to be external, mm. and it has to be nothing else other than Christ and Him crucified. And that's why the ordinary means of grace are so important. That's why the Lord's Day is so important. That's why the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, to be able to look to your baptism, to yeah. look to, um, to, to the Lord's Supper, to the bread and to the wine. I think that's why church membership is so important, mm. to be able to yeah. look to the other saints in your local church who are uh, affirming your salvation simply by holding your membership there. They're mm-hmm. saying, man, even when you don't feel like you belong to Christ, uh, unless we're bringing you up on charges and removing you through the process of Matthew 18, we're saying we believe that you belong to Christ. Ah. So take heart, brother. Yeah. And those those external objective means where we see and hear and experience Christ That's are good. so important because because gauging the measure of our our authenticity in confession, contrition, and repentance is a must, but but it has to be balanced. The the internal subjective Psalm 51 reality has to be balanced with the external objective justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, Romans 3 reality. And so the Puritans, you know, they, they always, it seems like we're going back and forth between Sometimes getting you know a little bit too much navel gazing, and 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 you know assessing the the authenticity of their own repentance, their own contrition, and then and then somebody would come along and say, "Look out, brothers! Look out! Don't look in! Look out to Christ!" Yeah. I think of Thomas Goodwin who said uh, at the end of his life, he said uh, after struggling and wrestling with an assurance of salvation for years and years towards the beginning of his ministry. Towards the end of his life, he was so rooted in the love of God by looking out and not just within that he said, I am now going to the three persons with which I have had communion. 
Christ cannot love me more than he does. Mm. I think I cannot love Christ more than I do. That's so good. And wow. that, that's what I yeah. want, man. I, I want to be able to be rooted and secure and confident in the love of Christ for me. And as important as it is to uh, to look inward subjectively at, at our hearts, our contrition, our confession, our repentance, uh, to look at our lives. First John gives all these different tests for yeah. this is what a true believer looks like. Are you loving God? Are you loving uh, the saints? Are you yeah. loving his people? Are, do, you have, do you have a credible confession of faith, a, a profession of faith? All these things are so important, but, but what we see again and again and again, is I think for every time we look within to examine ourselves, to see whether or not we are in the faith, we need to look 10 times outside of ourselves to Christ hanging on a cross in our place. Yeah. So Joel, even in, um, we talked about repentance, uh, definitely an overview of of Psalm 51. Now I want to talk about confession here. Um, How does confession look like in the in in the Christian just practice and in, in, in faith life and practice, uh, especially since it's kind of tied into the last episode, even within the church as well. Right. So the scripture is clear that we are called to confess our sin to God, uh, but we're also called to confess our sins to one another, uh, that we might pray for one another, that we might be healed, and and so there's certainly an element of confessing our sin to. Uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we believe and affirm as Protestants the priesthood of all believers. And so this isn't something that we do with a priest in a booth, but but rather we see that we are a kingdom of priests for all those who are in Christ. And so we confess our sins with brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church, clergy or not. And, um, and so confession is so important uh, I think one of the reasons why it's important to confess our sins one to another, um, Bonhoeffer even talked about this some, and so did Luther, uh, but but basically saying that uh, for the person who says, oh, I don't need to confess my sins to my fellow man because I'm confessing my sins to God. Uh, well, I think I think that, that often we may be deceiving ourselves, that, that if I if, if I'm not comfortable or willing to confess my sin to my wife, to the elders in my church, then I'm probably not genuinely confessing my sin to God. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the reverse of that. So confessing our sins to one another, it, it, one, I think it helps us to, to really gauge whether or not we're confessing to God at all. Uh, uh, secondly, it allows those people to pray for us and to, and to speak God's assuring words to us. And then as far as confessing to God, I, I remember that's one of the questions uh, that you and I, Julio, talked about before yeah. the podcast. Um, I, I think that we have to understand confession as an agreement with God over the severity of our sin. I'll say that again. I, yeah. Confession, as it pertains to confessing our sins to God, is an agreement with God over the severity of our sin. Yeah, and the good. reason why I say that is because Sometimes we think of confession as simply just uh, this this act of informing. So, so I'm just if I'm confessing to God, I'm I'm informing God of something bad that I did. Yeah, and if that's yeah. all confession is, then it's like, why do I ever need to confess to an omniscient God mm, yeah. who who knows everything that I've already done and everything that I ever will do? But but confession, it's not just where we sit down and inform the Almighty of something that took place, as though. 
as though he missed it and, and did not already have prior knowledge to that. <laughs> but rather what we're doing in confession is, is we are sitting down with God and agreeing with him over the weight of our sin. And so the person who's just rattling off in confession with God uh, certain behaviors and actions in, in just an informative way, mm. that, that's not true confession. True confession is saying, this is what I've done, and I agree with you, God, over, over what you say in your word in regards to why this sin truly is so heinous. And, and it's like what you said, Abe, in regards to it's not just this it's not just this horizontal, or maybe it was you, Julio, but yeah, yeah. it's not just that I sin against my fellow man, but, mm. but ultimately my sin is against you and you alone. That my sin is an act of treason against God. And I think what makes sin so wrong, all this kind of getting to what is confession, what we confess to our brothers and sisters, that that allows them to speak God's Word over us and assure us that we really are confessing to God. When we confess to God, we're not just informing Him, but rather agreeing with Him over the severity of our sin. And what makes our sin so severe? Uh, it's not just what we did, but it's what we did and, and what that says about what we believe. So at the end of the day, all sin is rooted in unbelief. Mm -hmm. so it's all rooted in a lie. Uh, the, the, this behavior that I've committed, the reason why it is truly so heinous, what makes it so severe, is that I have sinned against God Almighty, and, and my sin says something about God. Hmm. My sin says something, or maybe I should more specifically say, it says something about what I think and believe and feel about God. Hmm. And so the man who commits adultery, David, Ultimately, even you can see in the correspondence in 2 Samuel 12 with Nathan uh, saying, David, you, you're the rich man. You're the guy who has so many sheep already. You've got multiple wives. You're the king of, of this entire nation of Israel. God has blessed you so generously. And, and so your sin of adultery, it's not, just that, it's not just that you hurt Bathsheba and that you hurt her husband and murdered Uriah, but, but what you said to God by, by this action is that you said that God is not a faithful provider and that God has not mm. been generous towards you and that what God has given to you, namely the entire kingdom, is not enough and that God's withholding good things for, from you and that you have to take your own happiness, your own satisfaction into your own hands because you're a better provider for your joy than God is. And so in our sin, I guess what I'm getting at is when we're confessing to the Lord, we're agreeing with Him over the severity of our sin, and ultimately what we're confessing is not just actions and behaviors, but we're looking at these actions and behaviors and tracing them down the line through our thoughts and our feelings, ultimately to our beliefs. We're ultimately saying, the fact that I did this, it means that I don't really trust you. I don't really love you. I don't really um, th there's something in my heart. There's something at, at a faith level, a belief level. So what we're always training our people at response to do is to confess our sin as actions and behaviors, but then ultimately to use other brothers and sisters in Christ to help us to, to root those down to our core beliefs, that, that, that lack of faith, that unbelief in our heart that would cause us to, to do 
these kinds of sins and our actions and behaviors. And then all of that, almost done, but all of that, that's half of confession. That's what we would call a confession of sin. The other half of confession is then to have brothers and sisters in Christ help us to con- to make a confession of faith. And so I'm confessing mm. sin. I did this wrong thing, but ultimately it's because I believe this wrong thing. And now it's time to, instead of confessing unbelief, I need to now confess, by God's grace, faith. And so now we begin to confess that God is a good provider, that He does have our best interests mm-hmm. in heart, that He doesn't withhold from us, that He's working all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that, that He provides even for the sparrows, that He clothes the lilies of the field, that He is true, that He is kind, that He is loving, that He is merciful, and, and all of a sudden, repentance and and change Mm. in our hearts begins to take place. I think part of the reason why people confess and and, and yet there's not change is because our confession is so, it's so weak, it's so shallow. All we're doing is we're saying, I did a bad deed. Mm. It's this informing of, of of a wrong action. But what it should be is an agreement with God over the severity of why that action was so sinful, which is ultimately not rooted in the action itself, but the unbelief in our hearts. And then that sets us up to now make a confession of faith to begin to believe in our hearts. And now in the same way that unbelief in our hearts lent towards sinful actions, faith in our hearts lends towards obedient actions. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That was beautiful. Yeah, that was powerful, man. And 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 uh, I was just thinking about Joseph in Genesis uh, thirty nine nine, that when Potiphar's wife was su- trying to seduce Joseph, uh, Joseph responded to her and said, "How can I do this great evil and sin against God?" Yeah. And he knew right. we're just talking back, going back just to the uh, vertical yeah. that it was not against Potiphar; it was against God. Um. Can we go back a little bit just real quick on the confessing to our brothers and sisters of our sins? And yeah. how how does that look like biblically uh, when we're doing this? And, and, and I know that uh, in, in churches, sometimes when we are confessing those sins to one another, uh, I know that a lot of churches that don't do that, they don't believe in they, they, they don't believe in confessing these things uh, and just stay quiet about their sin and this is private, this is private. But um, what does that look like doing this uh, brother to sister, brother to brother, sister to sister confession and the responsibility of that going on that that um, I guess what I'm saying is the accountability accountability and 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 how does that look like where, hey, <laughs> I mean, when we start gossiping, they'll be like, hey, did you hear what Julio did last week? Just let me tell you, <laughs> right. he talked to me over coffee and yeah. and, and, and and I just wanted to touch on, on that. No, that's that's a great question. How did like it's all good in theory, you know? But how, how do we actually do it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're right. I, I mean, if we're not careful with those who are false converts and those even who are just simply weak converts and immature, um, confession can be taken advantage of. I think that's it's all the way back to the garden. You know, who told you that you were naked? You know, mm-hmm. that Adam and Eve they ran from God. That they began to cover themselves and and that's because of sin there's this there's this underlining shame where where we have this kind of this intrinsic 
need to cover and to hide because we know that not only are we sinful and are we ashamed, but but we know that others will be tempted um, to take advantage of our nakedness and to use it against us. And so we have to be wise about context, Mm. practical context, who we confess our sins to. Mm. I think this is just one of many reasons why church membership is absolutely vital um, so that we have an idea of of people who are in the church and and that have been vetted by the church and Mm. who are actually submitted to the spiritual leadership and elders of that church. Um, And so I I think all those are important for us at the response, the way that we do it practically. We call them gospel groups. Uh, Mm. Really all that is is just accountability groups. Not gossip groups, right? Not not gossip gossip groups. Gospel groups, guys. Gospel groups. We may need to change the name. Maybe it just sounds too close. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, what we do is uh, every single, we have 180 um, covenant members at the church. And what we do is we have uh, every single member in our church is in a gospel group. Now, uh, we we don't mandate it um, because the command to confess our sins one to another can be obeyed uh, without using our church's system. And so so we're not going to mandate our system. But we have about 90 percent of our members who take us up on it and and enjoy our gospel groups and do participate. And so what that looks like is um, that we have gender based groups, guys with guys, girls with girls, minimum of three, maximum of five. Oh, that's great. And so what, what we do is these are they're closed groups. So we have small groups that are, you know, maybe 15, 20 people meeting in a home with guys and girls together, mm-hmm. going through a book. But this is different. What, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, all right, there, there are multiple different um, disciplines, Christian disciplines that Christ calls us to. And, and they each, because they're different, um, they, they often require different practical contexts. You know, so so the context of the Sunday morning Lord's Day worship service is a wonderful context. In fact, I would argue the only context for uh, participating in the Lord's Supper, for instance. But yeah. but it's not necessarily the best context for people to get in the line and come up on stage to the microphone and confess their sins. Yeah. And so we we're recognizing, all right, there's. We, we want to balance authenticity with appropriateness. And so in these gospel groups, they're set groups because what we're trying to cultivate to be conducive for confession is trust. Yeah. And so what we do is they, they're on a six-month timeline. Mm. And, and what that means is that nobody new can come into the group for mm. a minimum of six months. Oh, wow. At the end of six months, they're, they're subject to change because we're always needing to multiply groups because we have, by God's grace, new members joining the church. But each group has a leader. The leaders are all um, monthly being being led and uh, resourced and trained by the elders. So we have five elders at the church. Uh, We have 40 gospel group leaders. All those 40 gospel group leaders fall underneath one of the five elders. And so the five elders are able on a monthly basis to meet with their gospel group leaders for ongoing training to see if they need any pastoral care mm. or counsel or, or advice with a, a particular situation. And then those gospel group leaders are meeting with their three to five people in their gospel group mm. on a weekly basis. And that's a set closed group where nobody new can come in. It's organized by the elders for six months. Again, it's not mandated. It's a volunteer program. But it, it, it creates it creates a, a safe 
and stable and small, intimate environment that would be uh, much more conducive to things, practices such as confession. And, and in order to be in a gospel group, you must be a member of our church. So everyone who's in a gospel group has a gospel group leader with ongoing training and shepherding care from the elders. And everyone in that group is a member in our church who has affirmed our, our church's statement of faith, who is in submission to the spiritual leadership of the elders and accountable. Hmm. And so it, it just creates practically yeah. a safer context for, for what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. What a great example of shepherding the flock. I know. <laughs> Thank wow. you. Wow. Thanks. Wow. That, that, that is a structure. That's a nice structure, man. <laughs> yes. That's wow. the one thing that I have seen at Response Church is you guys look very organized. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So Thanks, I could Dad. just notice that from the outside. And so th- th- it does not surprise me that that's the system within the that, that's within the church. Um um, yeah, it's, it almost seems like, it, well, we wouldn't have Joel on twice, but it's like almost the church membership aspect seems to be like a, a theme that just kind of yes. goes along with every topic. So hopefully the next That's topic, yeah. <laughs> hopefully the next to- topic would tie it right into church membership as well. Yeah, wow. wow. I, I, by God's grace, I can preach the gospel from every text of Scripture. Amen. I, I believe that I can preach uh, church membership from every text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> almost. I think Mark Mark Dever said that once. He was like, I can preach church membership from every text of the Bible. And I bet he could. That's great. I'm sure he can. Yeah. All right, Joel. Well, man, it would, it's it's always a joy to speak with you and especially to have you on the program. But yeah, as always, we always allow our guests, this is the most important part of the program, uh, and, and we always allow our guests to share the gospel. So if you would please do that, uh, the floor is all yours. All right. The gospel is not your life. It's not what Christ has done for you. It's not how you've changed. It's not your success or your victory. The gospel is not our life and our testimony. It is the life, death, and resurrection and testimony of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the second member of the eternal trinity, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He was born of a virgin Mary. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He also lived a life fulfilling all righteousness with active obedience, obeying God perfectly in our place. He died a death on a cross under the wrath of God for sin, not as just an example for sacrificial love, but as a substitute taking upon our sin, imputed sin, our sin became his. It was laid upon his shoulders, and he died as a substitute taken upon the wrath of God, his punishment, in our place. On the third day, he rose bodily from the grave. He appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. After 40 days, he ascended to the right hand of the Father in glory, where he is currently mediating his covenant, his new covenant of grace by his blood, interceding on our behalf. And we are saved as a free gift of Grace, in the same way that our sin was imputed to him, his righteousness is imputed, not infused, but imputed to us through faith. So we are saved not by faith, but by grace, Mm. through faith, Mm -hmm. as the instrument that lays hold of this grace. Mm. And all of this, the object of our faith, is Christ. It is not the degree of our faith, so that even those with little faith, 
and little repentance, even the smoldering wick and the bruised reed. There is a place for them by God's grace in the kingdom of Christ. It is not the size of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. And the only saving object of our faith is Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. Boom. Amen. That's gospel. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Joe. Well, uh, at least in the states, uh, our 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 uh, some of our viewers, our second largest viewership within the states is California. So, with that cool. said, if anybody is in California, go out and visit the Response Church. Um, we love that. Joe. Where uh, can they find you? Address, website, and all that stuff. Yeah, right now we're meeting in Point Loma. We're meeting at actually a school, but Lord willing, we'll have a building soon. So easiest way to find us is just to check us out online, theresponsechurch.com, theresponsechurch.com. All righty. And if you really like this discussion, um, you could go check out Joel Webin's sermon. They actually did a series on the Psalms, and you could go look if you really want to go more in depth on Psalms 51. I point you to his uh, Psalms 51 sermon. It's a two-part. Yeah. It's two parts. Uh, and it's excellent. Yeah, so, it's good. Um, Joel, it was an honor and pleasure to have you, man. It's all, I, yeah. I love I love talking with you. That was great. Thanks, Thank guys. I, I'm very honored. Thank you so much for having me. Abe, Julio. I love what you guys are doing, and uh, me and my elders are praying for your ministry. Well, thank you very thank much, because uh, thank you just for teaching. I just was learning on this podcast today. It was yeah, great. it was good stuff. <laughs> it, was great. it was really good I can't stuff. I myself, guys. <laughs> no, it I'm was, a teacher, man. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, if you would like to learn more about Bridge Ministries, please visit our website at bridgemenlaredo.org. That's bridgemenlaredo.org and click the About Us tab. We are a Reformed Christian bookstore and coffee shop who is dedicated to discipling and equipping the saints for the work of ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. Though we are not a church, we are indeed a support to other churches and ministries, providing affordable new and used Bibles and gospel-centered Christian books and study resources. We are not only a gospel outreach to our local community, but also out to the nations through this podcast. So please prayerfully consider supporting Bridge Ministries through a one-time or monthly gift. This allows us to continue not only Bridge Radio, but also our Bible studies, conference, lectures, and so many other things that we have planned out in the future for this ministry. And as always, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And see you on the next one. Later. Later.